0: I am so glad to see so many back. I'll tell you what, it was getting slim pickings uh, in December. I thought I would bring some mannequins in and put in the chairs. <laughs> Almost said bring some dummies in, but my must misunderstand that. <laughs> <They're here. laughs> oh, I'm, But uh, we're glad to see you tonight, and we're still in the book of Jude. And uh, if you want to go ahead and find your spot there. And, of course, there's, there's only uh, one chapter, so when you find Jude, you have it when you get your worksheet, there's a whole list that we're going to go through to start out tonight. And I want your input and your interaction. Uh, you know, Wednesday nights is different than Sunday mornings. Um, Sunday mornings, uh, I preach a sermon. Wednesday nights, we try to study the Word together. And, and I want your input and your uh, interaction as we go through the Word together. So I'll wait till everybody gets that. And uh, we're going to ask this question of these. Are these true? Are these true? And I want to talk about these. Is there enough worksheets? Everybody have one? Everybody got one? All right. Are these true? All right. So let's go through them and and we'll see what your thoughts are. And we'll talk about some of these. And these might stretch us and challenge us and and, uh, maybe change us uh, in some ways. The Bible contains the Word of God. The Bible contains the Word of God. Is that true? True. Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one, and that's, that's one that uh, I kind of got started. The Bible is the Word of God. Uh, the reason we don't say the Bible contains the Word of God is because some people believe that only part of it is the Word of God, that there's other parts that aren't God's Word. That's a tricky one. Maybe I should put that first. Uh, so the Bible is the Word of God. So just be on the lookout for that. I, I remember, I think when I went to work at a particular place, they asked me that question. You know, is this true? And uh, the Bible contains the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, so this depends on how you think about that. All right, here here's the one: to protect someone's feelings, it is okay to tell a little lie. To protect someone's feelings, it is okay to tell a little.
1: Depends on how long you want to stay married on that
0: one. Uh, Marriage counseling will be uh, another time. Now, let's talk about this. Honestly, is it okay to tell a little lie? Because if you tell the truth, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. What are you thinking? Sometimes better just keep your mouth shut and don't say anything. There you go. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yes, true. So, are we saying that it's okay to tell a little lie? We all do it because we are all compassionate people Mm -hmm. that don't want somebody's feelings hurt. Yeah, so this is one we struggle with, what we're saying. Uh, Daryl, I'm with you on that. Uh, You probably heard about the pastor that got to see this family's new little baby, and uh, he just looked at it, and they, they just, you know, he saw this baby, and it was quite a baby, and... He usually says that's such the cutest little baby, so all he could say was, now that's a baby. You know, That's <laughs> all he could say about this one. Of course, now I've got to be careful. to say see your <laughs> grandchild or something. Uh, well, Gabe, he, he had some challenges he when he was born. And Danielle, now, if you saw her baby picture, you'd really no, say, now no, that's no. a baby. But anyway, <laughs> I was cute and got uglier. She was, you know, anyway. <laughs> No, she, she'll agree with on the baby picture. I was my dad as an infant. If, if, if you shrink down her dad now, as a senior citizen, if you shrink him down to a baby package, that that's what Danielle me. looked like. But anyway, white hair and all. All right. So we know it's not right to lie. It's not right to lie. Uh, we can be kind and gracious, but sometimes we probably just better not say anything right.
1: Just don't
0: tell the whole truth. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to move on in this one. The miracles that Jesus performed were literally done. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Now, why would I put the word literally there? Because some don't believe they were literal, do they? They, they try to spiritualize them and, and make up. Well, you know, he really didn't walk on the water. It was just they were, were rocks, and yeah, rocks or whatever. Crazy stuff. In fact, it takes more faith to believe some of this crazy stuff that people believe. that, Like, you know, Jesus really didn't die and he, he just swooned and he woke up in the cave and you know, he'd only been beaten and been on the cross, but he was able to move the... I mean, just crazy stuff. A person does not, a person doesn't have to believe in the virgin birth of Christ to be saved. They do not have to believe in the virgin birth to be saved. That's false. That's right. Because if Jesus Christ is not born of a virgin, then what does that mean? He's just like us. He's a sinner and he can't save us. All right. Here's one. There are many ways to God. Is that true or false? False. How many ways to God is there? One. All right. Here's one. It really doesn't matter how you live as long as you have faith. It does matter how you live, doesn't it? And we know living right doesn't save us, but if we're saved, we ought to live right. All right? The Bible can. Now, here, I want you to think about this. The Bible can mean different things to different people. Sure. To non believers, it's just a book. To me, it's. It depends on how you take this question. Let me go where I was going with it, Daryl. Every text, every passage has one primary meaning, but it has many applications. So in other words, John 3.16 means the same thing to me, means the same thing to Toby, means the same thing to you. But different verses can have different applications, and you're going to see that tonight. What I'm trying to get at is we can't just take a verse and make it mean what we want it to mean. Now, I understand where you're coming from. In other words, what does the Bible mean to you? Well, it means the world to me, whereas an unbeliever doesn't mean anything. I'm talking about an actual passage. Some of these are even hard to write because I knew we had some very intelligent people and they were going to sit there and analyze it. Uh, But everybody understand where I'm going with that? Every text has a primary meaning, interpretation, but many applications. That's false. So I would say it's false in in my regard. I understand where Daryl's coming from. He's just saying, what does does the Bible mean to you? Well, it means the world to me. Is that where you're coming from? The Word of God is complete. What about the Book of Mormon? Isn't it another testament of Jesus Christ? No, that's their makeup beliefs. Yeah. The Bible is complete. The canon is closed. What does the Bible say about somebody? You know, the add or yeah, we don't add nor do we subtract from the Bible. As a Christian, sharing your faith is optional. As a Christian yeah, you're Southern Baptist, you should know that of nothing else. You know you're supposed to witness, you're supposed to testify, you're supposed to evangelize. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Because you can be sincerely, sincere but be sincerely wrong, can't you? A lot of people believe, I mean, maybe more sincere than we believe some things, but they're wrong. They're wrong. I said a prayer, so now I'm saved and secure. Mm-hmm. What I'm getting at with this one is: you ever met anybody who somewhere along the road prayed a prayer, and then somebody said, "Well, now you're saved." Sad to say, it's usually harder to win that person to the Lord than it is a lost person because they have a false sense of security. Salvation is not about saying a little prayer. We I mean, get anybody to say a little prayer, you know, just say these words and you're saved. The Holy Spirit has to work in the heart and life of an individual, bring, convict them of their sin, and bring them to saving faith. Baptism is necessary to salvation. This is one that people get messed up on. Baptism is very important. Baptism is important to Jesus and it's important to us. But it's not a part of salvation. What's the simplest thing to just blow that in the head? If somebody says, well, you have to be baptized to be saved. What story in the Bible would you take them to? The thief on the cross. Today, after you get baptized, you'll be with me in paradise. Is that what Christ said? No, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Baptism is the first step of obedience, but it has nothing to do with salvation. The resurrection of Jesus Christ must be, must be believed in order to be saved. The resurrection of Jesus Christ must be believed in order to be saved. True or false? True. Why? If he's still in the grave, then he's no better than any other religious leader, right? So, we're lost. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. True. Doctrine is important. True or false? Doctrine is a set of teachings. So, true. Okay, well, that's the point tonight. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Doctrine is important. You know why? Because everything you just answered was based upon doctrine. And you answered on correct doctrine. Doctrine is a set of beliefs. What we're talking about is doctrine. What you learn in the Word of God is doctrine. The doctrines of the Word of God. Doctrine is truth. The truth of the Word of God. So when I say doctrine, I'm speaking about our doctrine, Christian doctrine, not just some other kind of doctrine. Doctrine. Um, and if you didn't understand doctrine, then you wouldn't know answer this question. So, Daryl, to think it hard. What's the difference in doctrine and dogma? Well, I don't know if there is a difference. It uh, depends on what doctrine and dogma we're talking about. Um, doctrine uh, for a Mormon is going to be different than doctrine from a Jehovah's Witness and doctrine from a Christian. Uh, when I worded that, mess I a Christian doctrine? Um, so, I don't know if there is a difference. Okay. I, the, the word just hit, I just, yeah. just hit me. Yeah. So, if you didn't understand doctrine, you maybe couldn't answer some of those. You knew that resurrection of Jesus Christ is vitally important and you can't be saved apart from it. That's the doctrine. Resurrection of Christ. You knew the virgin birth is vitally important. Without it, without it, we can't be saved because he would be just another man like us. That's doctrine. The whole point tonight is to talk about this. Doctrine is important. We're, going, we're supposed to fight for the faith. So go to Jude now, and let's jump in, and we're going to pick up there at verse let's go back and just read the whole whole passage up through verse four. We're studying verses three and four tonight. If you're with us last year we studied verses one and two. We're jumping on three and four tonight as we make our way through the book. Uh, Jude, beginning at verse one Jude a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness And deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you'll notice right away who this is addressed to. It says, Beloved. Jude is one that loved these people he was writing to. He's a caring person. He's a compassionate person. In fact, he loved them so much, he's, he wrote what we're about in the study tonight and, and in the days to come. Now, several lessons from this passage. And you have a worksheet, and you have some blanks you can be filling in, some notes there if you want to as we go through. Several lessons from this passage. Number one, as Christians, we are part of the same body. The same body. I want you to notice back there again, in verse number 3, where it says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. When it says common salvation, it means the salvation that all believers share. What it's talking about here is unity. Unity. Now, we're meeting here in Anson County, uh, technically in Polkton, North Carolina. 28135 is our zip code. Is it Ansonville? Is it Polkton? Well, depends who you ask. Um, we're technically, by the government, we're Polkton, North Carolina, 28135. We're here together. But you know what? Over, probably down the road at Rocky River, they're meeting tonight. We can go over and uh, New Home is having a meeting tonight. First Baptist is having a meeting tonight. Different bodies, local fellowships. But guess what? We're all one in Christ. We share common salvation. It's wonderful. It doesn't matter what our skin color is, what our nationality is. It doesn't matter what our bank account is. It doesn't matter what our vocation is. We are one in Christ. Not only those who are meeting in the United States. We have brothers and sisters who are uh, perhaps meeting in Africa or Asia or somewhere else around the world. We are one in Christ. And, and here's what Jude says there. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. In other words, my theme was going to be our common salvation. That's a pleasant theme. That's an awesome theme. He, he wanted to write about it. He was excited about it. It's like, I was diligent. I was ready to write. But that's not what he ended up writing about. That's interesting. Because look at the next couple of words there. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, there was a change in plans. His, his theme was going to be our common salvation that we share in Christ, our unity in Christ. But listen, there's a change of plans here. I, I find it necessary. I'm compressed. I, I feel the pressure to change plans. Now, listen, we know that Jude wrote this, but all scripture writers shared this in common. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's why this is the Word of God. Because God, the Holy Spirit, now he didn't, he didn't make them robots. He used their personalities and their language and the things they had learned. And we can see different characteristics of the different writers. But Scripture, the Bible says, is inspired of God. Inspired means God breathed. So God breathed, these words are reading, through Jude. And, and Jude, I believe, was led by the Holy Spirit to change from the theme of common salvation to the theme of contending for the faith. Um, makes me think about when you have to write a research paper. Remember those? I still get to write one once in a while. I get ready to start seminary again later on this month, and I'm hoping that I don't have to write any. But anyway, uh, you have to hone in on a theme, and those who've been through that, maybe if you're children, or uh, maybe you've been through it yourself, and, and, and you have to hone in on a theme, don't you? to do your research, and you have to find that theme, and... You have to go, sometimes you have to change things. Well, Jude was going to write on the of salvation. God, the Holy Spirit says, no, I want you to change themes, and I want you to write about this. Now, I can only imagine how Jude must have felt because I understand him in this regard. As a preacher and teacher, there are certain subjects and topics that I love to preach about. I mean, I just love to preach about them. And they're easier to preach about. They're more well-received than other topics and subjects, than maybe some things that are not as pleasant, some things that are not as fun to talk about. Uh, We've been studying so far in Jude, some pleasant things. We talked about who we are in Christ. We talked about what we have in Christ. And now we come, we have to talk about the apostates. Uh, That's not as pleasant. Uh, We have to talk about that we're engaged in a war. That's not as pleasant. We'd rather watch the... The a sitcom than the evening news showing us the war in Afghanistan, right? I mean, that's, that's more pleasant. But these things are right and necessary. Jude yeah. says in verse 3, I found it necessary. I was, I feel the pressure, the compulsion to do this. We've got to remember this. We're, we said it. The Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. Let me ask you a question. What's the difference between a battleground and a playground? What goes on on the playground? There is some war going on yeah. in the playground. <laughs> no matter what age it is, it's the toddlers all the way up. But, but, but what happens on the playground? We play, don't we? And it's carefree and we love life. Now, what happens on the battleground? It's life and death, isn't it? Now, I, I've never actually been in war. Maybe some of you have served in war. If you have, we appreciate your service. Um, some are serving right now in war. A dangerous place. A serious place. You don't play around on the battlefield, do you? The Christian life is a battlefield, not a playground. Battleground, not a playground. Now, we're engaged in a spiritual battle. We're one in Christ. But listen, we're part of the same body. But you ready? We're also part of the same battle. The same battle. I want you to notice the next part there where he says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to do what? To contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, we know who our enemies are tonight, I hope. As a believer, we battle against three primary things. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's talk about the world. When we say the world, does that mean that well, we battle against the beautiful sky and the sunset? No. The evil world philosophy and system. When we say we battle against the flesh, we're we talking about your skin right there on your bones? No. Maybe you do battle it sometimes. Uh, but we're talking about what? We're talking about the old man. The old nature loves to rear its ugly head. And then we talk about the devil. We know who we're talking about. We're talking about our enemy. And, of course, the devil's not alone. Uh, others fell with him, and uh, he's our enemy, our sworn enemy. Uh, the Bible says we're to, to be vigilant, sober, and walk circumspectly, looking around. Why? Because our adversary is a roaring lion, seeketh him he may devour. Uh, if words went out tonight on the news that there was a roaring lion loose in Anson County, uh, would you walk a little bit different to your car tonight? Probably. Uh, Well, guess what? There is a lion loose in Anson County tonight. His name is Satan. And uh, we have to realize that we're in a battleground. We're in a battle, a spiritual battle. Now, let's talk about definitions real quickly. What does it mean to contend earnestly? What does that mean? Well, the the Greek word uh, is the basis of our English word agonize. word agonize. Uh, as one person said, we're not called to passive service, but to vigilance for the cause of Christ. So we're to agonize, we're to contend, we're to battle, we're to fight for the faith. Now when it says the faith, we're not talking about the faith that's like you have a, your own personal belief. That's not the faith being talked about here at all. We're talking about the faith that is the Christian faith. That is the truth of the word of God. So he says, I want you to agonize, I want you to earnestly contend, I want you to fight for the faith. And notice who is addressed to. Beloved, those who have common salvation. Now, wait a minute. Some people come to this pastor and say, you know what, preacher, that's for you. You're a pastor. You should contend for the faith. And I should. Uh, that's for leaders in spiritual positions. And we should. But listen, it said, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, we all share it, I found it necessary to write to you To me, you, Yes, to you. Exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the same. What am I saying? I'm saying this. It's every believer's responsibility. God is calling you to contend for the faith. God is calling you to fight for the faith. God is calling you to stand up for the faith. Why? Because you are in a spiritual battle. Now, why is this necessary? Why was it necessary in Jude's day to these believers Jude was writing to? Why is it necessary in our day? I mean, isn't it not be more fun just to talk about heaven and, and the pleasant things? Why do we talk about this? Why do we deal with this? Why do we need to contend for the faith? Well, look at verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our, own, and our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. Some men had crept in who were unnoticed and ungodly. They were unnoticed and ungodly. What does it mean when it says they were unnoticed? Well, they did not come in announcing, hello, we're false teachers. We're here to destroy the work of God. They didn't do that. By the way, what does it say about our enemy, Satan? He comes robed how, as an angel of light, doesn't he? He didn't come with a pitchfork and a ponytail, right? He didn't show us. He didn't show us all the evil and all the uh, maliciousness that comes. You ever seen a? It's kind of like I think about a beer. You ever seen a beer commercial where they show you somebody living in squalor, beating his wife? They don't show you that, do they? Yeah. They show beautiful models out on the beach with, you know, perfect 10 models and, and, and they're out there playing volleyball and everything's wonderful. They don't show you the homes that are broken up and the lives that are destroyed. They don't show you the DWI incidents, do they? No. We find that these things are presenting the best possible life. And these false teachers, it says what? It says they crept in. They crept in. I like that saying. It's kind of like a... Uh, un- unwanted pastor or vermin, right, that creep in your house. You don't invite them in. You don't want them there. They creep in. It says they came in unnoticed. How could this happen? How could these people come in to the church unnoticed? Well, was it a lack on the part of the, the, the leadership of that church letting these people come in? Or, or did these false teachers just appear to be all right? Maybe they're the type of people that use the right words. They sang the right songs, they acted right, they, they dressed right, and so they they you know they were welcomed. Maybe nobody really looked into what they believed or what they taught. Listen, the purity of the church is important. The purity of the church is important. Our church has made a wise decision. You folks made a wise decision before I ever stepped foot on the scene when you revised your constitution to talk about the fact that while people can present themselves for membership, they'll not be voted upon until they have a meeting with the pastor and or a deacon to go over things and see if they uh, read and agree with our doctrinal statement because doctrine's important, right? And and, and they agree with our, our, our church covenant. Why? Because if they don't agree with that, they don't belong here as members, right? Now, we welcome all that will come we want to hear the gospel. They're welcome to come. But when you want to become a member of this local fellowship, you have to believe certain things. You have to stand upon certain things. And, and these people, they crept in. Maybe they said yes. Now, people can come in and lie, can't they? Ever how they did it, they didn't come in the front door saying, we're false teachers. We're here to spread all kinds of stuff. They says They crept in unnoticed. They came in the side door. They slipped in. They settled down among the believers there. The purity of the church is important, beloved. But notice, likewise, not only were they unnoticed, they were ungodly. Now, Jude likes to use that word, and you'll uh, find out a little bit later there. But they were ungodly. That is, they were without God. Um, John MacArthur said it literally means impious or without worship. They had a lack of reverence for God. They were unlike God. They didn't have God. And they infiltrated. It was so bad. Now, think about it. It was so bad. They were so ungodly. They decided to infiltrate a church. And teach false doctrine. That's hard to understand, isn't it? Why would somebody want to do that? But we know our enemies are very slick and they slide in there, like they creep in unnoticed. They're ungodly. And you know what they did? They attacked two things primarily mentioned here, uh, I believe, in the book of Jude. They attacked the grace of God. I want you to notice that uh, part first. It says, Grace of God. Uh, It says they turned the grace of God into what? To lewdness. To lewdness. Wiersbe said, here's what they basically did. These people said, because of the grace of God, you can pretty much live any way you want to live. That's kind of what they were saying. God is a God of grace, and you're under grace. You're not under the law. So you can live however you want to live. Now, the Bible addresses that in Romans chapter 6. Put your finger there in Jude and turn back to Romans chapter 6. You ever heard anybody say that, by the way? Doesn't matter how you live because they're under the grace of God. Romans chapter 6. Look at what it says there. They, they turn the grace of God into lewdness. Romans 6 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, don't close it up here, but think about that, that reasoning for a moment, that logic. Hey, let's sin. Some more of God's grace can abound. That's a great plan, isn't it? Let's sin a little bit more. God's grace is here. But look at what it says in verse 2. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Listen, when you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it broke the power of sin concerning you. You've been delivered from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The, The power of sin has been broken. If you as a believer sin, you choose to sin. You cannot say the devil made me do it because you chose to do it. And praise God, one day we'll even be delivered from the presence of sin in a place called what? Heaven. The penalty, the power, and even the very presence of sin. These people said, listen... Let's just take the grace of God and let's turn it into lewdness. In other words, you know, live how you want to live. Just, en- just enjoy, just do what you want because you're under grace. They attacked the grace of God. But then they attacked the deity of Jesus Christ. When I say deity, I mean what? I mean the, the, the God-man. Look at what it says in the end of verse number uh, 4. Uh, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they deny Christ. Now listen, if a person denies that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, they're a false teacher and they're lost. I don't care what else they teach. I don't care how dynamic they are. I don't care what else they say that's good. If they deny the deity of Jesus Christ, they're a false teacher and they're lost. And if they're teaching that in church, then they are in some pretty sad shape, to say the least. This right here, beloved, is what our whole life is about. If He's not God, He's not our Savior. They attacked. Look what it says. They attacked the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand something tonight. The false teachers are still alive and well. Brothers and sisters, we are to contend for the faith. We're to fight for the faith. And we'll talk about that, how to do that practically in a moment. But there's one more same thing we find here. We have the same body. The body of the Lord Jesus, right? We have the same battle. We're to contend for the faith. But also, as Christians, we're to believe... The same Bible. And when I say the same Bible, I don't mean we just have one copy of it and we all have to share it. We all have our own copy. I think everybody brought their Bible tonight. What I'm saying is this. Look at what it says back in verse number three. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you earnestly... Now watch this part. Earnestly contend for the faith, and watch this part, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, we said the faith is what? The faith is the set of teachings, the doctrines. We call it what? The Bible. Now, of course, it was still being written when Jude was writing this. He was writing part of it. We said tonight, the Bible is complete, right? So we hold in our hands the very word of God. We hold in our hands... The teachings, the doctrine, the truth concerning Christianity. This is a sacred trust, once for all delivered to the saints. Notice it was once delivered. God's not still having more scripture written. It's complete. Notice it was delivered. It wasn't discovered, it wasn't made up. it was delivered and delivered to the saints. Now the reason we have a Bible tonight is because somebody delivered it in our hands. God and his grace saw fit that we have a coffee. You can go back and study how scripture came to be translated and keep going. It's amazing to see God's hand at work. But here's what we need to understand, beloved. Somebody passed this sacred trust on to us and we must pass it on to the next generation. Think about a baton runner, if you will. And he has that baton and he's running and he's running and he's running and, he's running, and he sees up ahead the next runner. What's his responsibility? To stop and say, well, I've got a baton. What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to run. He's supposed to do what? Pass that baton safely to the next runner who will then run to the next runner. That's the picture here, beloved, if you will. We have been given in our generation a sacred trust, the Bible, Christianity. And there's another generation coming up. And we're to hand off the sacred trust to the next generation. If we don't, who will? Think about it. Are we giving the sacred trust? Are we giving, uh, giving this off to the next generation? Here's what's interesting. I like what one writer said. While, the, while it was once delivered, the faith was once delivered, it must be contended for in every generation. It was once delivered, but it must be contended for in every generation. False teachings alive and well. We could go access it real quickly. You can come to the Parsons, we'll turn on some of the church channels. Now, there's some great stuff on there. You can watch Adrian Rogers, you can watch uh, David Jeremiah, you can watch James Merritt, you can watch some wonderful Bible teachers and preachers on there to encourage you. And that's what I do. But you can also find some weird people on there. I mean, some strange birds. And they're on there saying, thus saith the Lord. And they're teaching false doctrine. Now, what do we do about that? You no, know what we usually do? We laugh at them. How sad. I'm I'm guilty of that myself. You see some of these people. But listen, that's not a funny matter. They are teaching damnable heresy. Here's what Galatians 1, 6-9 says. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, you now Paul wrote in Galatians, we studied Galatians on a Wednesday night, on several Wednesday nights way back. Remember, talk, we talked much about this. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we preach to you, let him be what? Remember? Accursed. And in case you didn't get it, And as we've said before, verse 9 says, So say I again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. The gospel is that important. The gospel is life and death. The gospel is eternal destiny. What is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You miss any one of those? You've missed the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now listen. Listen. Let's just be honest. How are we doing at this? Not just answer your love, but answering your own heart. How are we doing at passing along this sacred trust? Think about your children. Think about your grandchildren. Think about your great grandchildren if you're at that stage. How are we doing? Do they love God? Do they know about God? Do they serve God? Think about that. Now, I know we don't have complete control and they have to come to the Lord themselves. But how are we doing in teaching and preaching and molding and modeling? A lot of this is taught and a lot of it's caught. We can be fake all day long. We can play the game. But listen, kids know the difference. Kids know the difference. They know if you're real or or fake. You, You can't hide from them, especially your own children. Now, let's get down to brass tacks and we'll go home. How do we practically contend for the faith? Are we, let's just ask this question first, make sure we're on the same page. Are we supposed to contend for the faith? Yes. yes. everybody that's a Christian, right? We have the same, we're in the same body, same battle, have the same Bible. Now let's talk about four practical things we could do. This is from O.S. Hawkins. He's one of our own. O.S. is a Southern Baptist. He was a pastor for many years. He now heads up GuideStone, which handles uh, uh, our insurances and retirement and all that kind of thing for the Southern Baptists. But he has a book on the book of Jude, a wonderful book, called In Sheep's Clothing. And he, he suggests four ways which we can contend for the faith. And these are very practical. First of all, we're to love the faith. We're to love the faith. Now, to love the faith, of course, starts with loving the Lord, right? Do you you love the Lord tonight? I hope you do. Man, I I hope you just stop some time and just think about how good God is. Now, we love Him. Only why? Because He first loved us. And I don't know about you, but when you love the Lord, you love His bride. Who's His bride? Church. Church. Somebody might say, you know, i can be a Christian and, and then not go to church. And you might just ask him, well, you know, uh, you say you love the bridegroom, but not the bride. And you, you don't love who Christ loves, because Christ loved the church so much that he did what? He gave his own life for it. And when you love the Lord and you love this bride and you, you find that you love his word, don't you? I hope you're in love with the word of God. More importantly, I hope you're in love with the God of the word. But this is his revelation, his completed revelation to us. And the more you study it, the more you realize, oh, just how great our God is. We've got to hurry. Number two, learn the faith. Learn the faith. Don't you wish you had that kind of energy? I wish you did too. Y'all look kind of sad. Learn the faith. Now listen. Listen. How how did we? Uh, that was a jab. One. That was that was that was low down. That was awful. That was your inhospitality. That was my inhospitality showing through. How do we learn the faith? By our funny past. Say again. Our funny passion. By your funny passion. Well, I hope you're learning some that. <laughs> sure. But but we learn the faith. Well, we we get it. We we come to Sunday school. We we come to worship. You read the Bible on your own. You do your devotions. You. You get in the Word of God, you allow the Word of God to get in you. Has anybody arrived yet? If you have, go back and study again because you're going to find you haven't. If we're going to be able to defend the faith, we've we got to know the faith. Now, I asked you earlier, what would you say to somebody that says, listen, you've got to be baptized to be saved? Very simple answer, isn't it? Just take a moment. Well, look, the Lord Jesus says right here, uh, somebody said we have to do good works to be saved wait a minute let's go to Ephesians where it says for by grace you say the faith that not of yourself is the gift of not of works thus any man mention both we're to learn the faith third we're to live the faith if we're truly going to contend for the faith we ought to be living the faith you know one of the greatest arguments against Christianity is the way some Christians live you ever think about that? I saw a piece. I don't remember if it was in the newspaper. Maybe some of you saw it, or it might have been in, in the Biblical Recorder about where clergy line up in regards to people's trust and respect. I just saw it today. It was a real discouraging thing to read. We were behind police. I think was one. So nurse, nurse did you see yeah, this same? Maybe it wasn't in Charlotte. Was it Charlotte Observer? I don't know where yeah, it was. I think Okay, we're behind nurses, school teachers, uh, police. I forget who else. People don't trust clergy. Why? False teachers and fallen teachers. You know, some of the ones that fell, they weren't false teachers necessarily. They, they failed. What uh, an indictment against us. We're to live the faith. If we say we, we need to practice what we preach, how can we contend for the faith if we're not even living the faith? And then fourth, and I want you to hear this carefully now, loose the faith. Not not lose the faith, but loose. Two O's. Loose the faith. O.S. had to get his other L in there, I guess. Loose the faith. What do you think it means to to loose the faith? It means to share the faith. This is about evangelism and and the gospel. Uh, This is about uh, getting out the gospel and the truth. This is about, if you will, when somebody asks you something, instead of saying, well, I saw an Oprah... Or, uh, you know, Dr. Phil said this, or or, uh, Donahue, or or Geraldo, or or whoever else you watch, Thomas the Train, um, (laughs) whoever it is. You say, listen, God's word says. Because what? That's the ultimate authority, God's word. Let me ask you a question. We're going to go here in a minute. Is this popular? No. No. Uh, This is not popular. I think there's a great picture. A lot of you are with us when we studied Nehemiah. And there's a great picture, I think, in contending for the faith in Nehemiah. It was, I kind of saw it, and I two different authors brought it up. And that is, there's a positive and a negative side, if you will, to contending for the faith. There's a building and a battling. Remember Nehemiah? He had some people that were against him. sanballat Tobiah, I can't remember the third name. These people were enemies of, of Nehemiah, enemies of God. And remember Nehemiah 4, 17, 18 says this. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at the construction and the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built and one sound of the trumpet was beside me. In other words, they had a sword in one hand and a trial in the other. They were building and battling, building and battling. That's the Christian life. We're building up ourselves in our most holy faith. And we're battling for the faith. See, the question is not, is it popular? The question is, is it right? And you know what? Contending for the faith is right. So, final blank there. It's either contend for the faith or disobey. It's that simple. We either contend or we disobey. Which will you choose? How do we do it, preacher? Well, I think OS summed it up nicely. Love the faith, learn the faith, live the faith, and then loose the faith. Don't lose the faith, but loose the faith. Share the faith of the gospel. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for this time. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the faith, the sacred trust. Help us, Lord, to contend for it. Help us to pass it on. Help us to stand and live and, and teach it and preach it and die by it. Help us to be faithful, O God. I pray that you'd help us to share our faith. Help us to reach others with the gospel. Go with us now our separate ways. Watch over us. Be with us. Help us in all things be more like Christ. I pray your Holy Spirit to be working in us to bring about those fruits of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.